Adam and Eve's children and their posterity, like all the generations on the earth since, struggled with wickedness and weakness. Surely Adam and Eve endured many sleepless nights and offered up many tearful prayers on behalf of their children. And in the midst of all that, they did their best to give them an unshakable foundation by teaching them the way of the gospel. Among the descendants of Adam was Enoch. It was said that those who heard Enoch teach dared not touch him since they knew he had walked with God. And the rumors were true. He had walked with God. And God gave him a charge to preach the gospel, which Enoch fulfilled. He preached and created a faith-filled legacy, unmatched in all of Scripture. Not a bad legacy for a man who was slow of speech, hated by all, and felt generally inadequate about himself as a person. Now, if God can take a man like that and turn him into what he became, imagine what he can do with you and I. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. How we keep our kids uh, paying attention when we're trying to teach them uh, during family home evening or, or even during church is <clears throat> we have different solutions for different ages, basically. Well, it's just my husband and I, we're empty nesters, so he behaves pretty well. Uh, but I noticing younger families, it seems that treats work or bring in spiritual material. For some of the younger kids, we'll give them uh, coloring books and tell them to just listen. For some of the older kids, um, I'll tell them they can uh, use their scriptures to uh, follow along or, or read the passages that relate to what we're talking about. When we were younger, it was probably hard for my parents to keep us involved and paying attention, but it's something that they started when we were really little. And by doing that, it made it a habit in our lives that Monday was our time to meet as a family and talk about the gospel. And it just became a habit and something that we just love doing as a family. Welcome to Come Follow Up. We're excited to be here today. The discussion that we're going to have today is based off of our studies from Genesis chapter 5 and Moses chapter 6. And the two main topics we're going to discuss are first, Adam and Eve teach their family. And second, God calls us to do his work despite our inadequacies. And to help us with our discussion today, we want to first welcome our scholar, James Goldberg. Thanks for being here, James. Good to be here, Ben. So James is a historian, a writer, scholar, poet, playwright, uh, among many other things. And then in addition, we have our power couple, Richard and Darcy Barnes, uh, the parents of 10 children ranging from ages 23 down to one, correct? Yes. That's right. Now, Richard is an attorney, a uh, high school swim coach, and he's in the Utah Sports Hall of Fame. Tell us a little bit about that, Richard. Yeah. Uh... My brother Dave and I were inducted into the Utah Sports Hall of Fame because we were the first two people from Utah to swim the English Channel. Wow, that's is super impressive. Well, thank you both for being here. We're excited to get to know you better. So let's start with James. Uh, will you give us a little bit of background on these two chapters? Yeah, so Eve and Adam left the Garden of Eden. They took the fruit and now they're gonna be fruitful. Uh, so they have children. And, um, and actually, it's interesting in Moses chapter 5 that it's after they've started having children that they have some of their own defining spiritual experiences where they make sense of what's happening, and then they're taught to teach. 
and we get some of the details of what they taught their children at the end of Moses chapter 6. Okay, and I want to talk to our guest, the Barnes. As you were studying these chapters, uh, is, was there anything that, you know, spoke to you as parents? Adam and Eve, they didn't have like the world like we think of it. So one of the things I feel like with my kids is that I'm constantly fighting the world kind of. Like I'm trying to teach them the gospel and they're getting all these other messages from the world. And I was thinking Adam and Eve didn't really have that. I mean, they created, they, they were the world, you know, but they still had all these problems and troubles, so. Thank you. I think the first thing that really stood out to me was the Lord commanded Adam to teach his family the same things that he commands us to teach our own kids. It's the first principles and ordinances of the gospel. He, he tells them to teach them about faith, um, repentance, baptism, and uh, the belief on the Savior, that the Savior will come to redeem all mankind. What are some things that you have found that have worked for you in teaching specifically, as Adam and Eve taught their children, uh, the gospel? I don't know, we're still figuring it out, I guess. <laughs> There's so many things, you know, we try to be consistent, we try to have prayers and scriptures and, you know, through the years, we've been pretty good with that. Um, that, you know, that's often hard as, you know, everybody knows that, that, you know, you have different levels of uh, involvement or, you know, attitudes and stuff. And sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it doesn't. Having this many kids, we feel like we almost have like, in some ways, three different families, three sets of kids where we taught the older kids this way and we made some mistakes. And, it's, and we thought, oh, I wish we'd have done this differently. And then we've made some adjustments and then we're teaching the other kids, you know, the middle kids one way, and then we'll teach the youngest kids a different way. And yeah, I think we're just trying to do our best and figure out as we go along like Adam and Eve did. Yeah. And that's super interesting because in the scriptures, they kind of have three sets too. Yeah, that's right. right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So you have some that, that didn't grow up with those teachings. Then uh, you have Cain and Abel who start with the teachings and that has mixed results. Mm -hmm. um, people have agency, right? And then starting with Seth, there's this other subset. Parenting is never just one size fits all, Yeah. right? You're always adjusting to the kids, to their circumstances. Yeah, yeah. and it changes as the world changes. Yeah, it does. And um, I mean, that's something we've talked about too, is that we feel like we kind of, you know, you kind of do like how you grew up, but the world's different, you know? So there's different issues and different things you have to face. With Adam and Eve, they, they grew up in Eden, so to speak, where there's plenty, there's always enough. And so they don't know necessarily how do you raise kids with scarcity, mm -hmm. kids who are struggling to get ahead. And with Cain and Abel, that's a real struggle, right? Mm -hmm. Where Cain gets attached to, to this idea of power and gain mm -hmm. that's so foreign to where his parents came from, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's really interesting because like, I, I never thought of that, how they, they, you know, having scarcity or the different world, it was a completely different world for their mm -hmm. kids. And that's, yeah, sometimes things come up and I'm like, I have no idea, where does this come from, <laughs> yeah. you know? Okay, so on that note, and I appreciate you saying that, and I wanna go out to the audience and ask, what are some things that you have done that has worked in trying to raise your kids in the gospel? Kim, go ahead. I love personal experiences, so I would always find those opportunities to share with them. Like this happened, and I remember a time in a calling to go visit a sister, and we knocked on her door, and she was crying, and she says, I prayed you would come, and you're here, and we helped her with an ailment she had, and so I would go home and share that with my children, and to help them to feel the Holy Ghost. And That's a great example, thank you so much. With all of our efforts in teaching our children, and with Adam and Eve specifically, uh, I want to ask you two, as parents of 10 children, 
Obviously, uh, parenting, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. What's that dynamic like raising kids, knowing that it's not always going to go well? Yeah, it's a really good question because we were raised one way by our parents. When you start to have your own kids, we think, okay, we'll take the good things that our parents did and apply those. And we'll try to do things better on things that we, you know, that we didn't like. And then you have your first kids and, uh, and it's, it's not like you thought it was going to be. And you're raising your kids the way you think will be the best way, but the world is different. And so relying on the spirit is critical because the world is changing. Yeah, and I just would say, like, when I had my first baby, I think I really did think I was going to be the perfect mom. <laughs> I had it all figured out, you know, yeah. and I read the books and I knew exactly what to do. And I feel like, you know, over time, okay, this isn't working for this one, or, you know, you realize that you're not doing it perfectly or you're making mistakes. It's really a lesson in humility. And I think there's things that when I was younger, I would look and be like, I will never let my kids do that. You know, my kids aren't <laughs> going to do that. And now it's like being a parent, it's such a growing experience for yourself, you know. And all, and I totally agree with what you said, that you have to follow the spirit. One thing I remember like several years ago thinking there's so much hard. I mean, like things that are hard are things like even just like trying to get your kids to do the chores or just stuff like that. You know, just kind of day to day of life where it feels like it's always kind of a fight sometimes. And I remember thinking there's too much hard. I got to make sure we do the fun, too. And so, um, and so that's one thing I think is really important with teaching them is to try to have, you know, do have good moments and good things. And, and really, when I pray about them and about what do I, can I do to help them, you have to keep a good relationship. And I really think that's really important that so they can trust you and believe what you're telling them, you know, and they know that you love them. And that's kind of the most important thing. One of my favorite experiences of raising these kids is when the kids help each other. And when the kids feel the spirit, and there was this one um, experience that happened where one of our children was laying in bed having a panic attack, and she was scared and frightened. And the spirit moved our son to go into her and talk to her. Yeah. He came in and, like, played tabernacle choir music or just helped her through it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. anyway, that was a really neat experience. Yeah. It's neat when the spirit works on the, the kids to help each other. Yeah. You know, and this, I think this, this idea leads to this, uh, this first topic, which is, you know, Adam and Eve teaching their families. And I love the emphasis that President Nelson has, has put on making our homes a center for gospel learning. President Nelson says, it is time for a home-centered church supported by what takes place inside our branch, ward, and stake buildings. We are each responsible for our individual spiritual growth. And scriptures make it clear that parents have the primary responsibility to teach the doctrine to their children. So I'll open it up to you now and just give me an example of how this emphasis has changed or affected your home. Kristen, go ahead. Yes, I love the part about how we are each responsible for our own individual spiritual growth. Uh, when we had the home-centered church, it wasn't a time for us to rely on the young men and the young women leaders or their Sunday school teachers to teach them the doctrines of Christ. It was in our home, and they had to discover that for themselves as they were giving the talks every Sunday, and they were teaching the Sunday school lessons and bearing their testimonies that they were able to increase their own spiritual growth. Thank you for sharing that. How is that, what has that done for you as a parent as far as your own preparation to teach your children the gospel? Well, they're asking us the questions now. So I have to be prepared to answer or know where to go to get answers. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I'm curious, as we talk about, you know, teaching our families with this home-centered church idea, what do you think that would have looked like for Adam and Eve? 
well, they were doing the first home-centered church because, you know, there was no church organization but what was in their family. And so that can help us relate to them even more. I love verse 57. He tells them specifically what to teach. And he says, Wherefore, teach it unto your children that all men everywhere must repent, or they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. For no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. For in the language of Adam, man of holiness is his name. And the name of his only begotten is the Son of Man, even Jesus Christ, a righteous judge who shall come in the meridian of time. So he's beginning to teach them about Jesus Christ. And then he's going to teach them about repentance and then baptism. Yeah, definitely. With baptisms, that's always been like a really special spiritual experience for us. You know, what is the priesthood? The priesthood is the power of God. You know, and of course, we want that in our family. And we want our kids to feel that and to know that it's a real power. And it's something we can really call upon. And so I, I'm very grateful to have it in our home, you know, through taking the sacrament, through blessings and baptism and all these things. One of my favorite scriptures is Joseph Smith's letter from Liberty Jail, where he talks about the nature of priesthood mm -hmm. uh, and the influence. He says, influence cannot be maintained except by long-suffering and persuasion, mm -hmm. right? Adam here, a lot of his kids got caught up in the world, right? right yeah. And he's trying to bring them back and teach repentance, teach a better way through this long-suffering. That, that phrase, too, about cannot be maintained mm -hmm. for parents there's a lot that you can do to get your kids in line quick, mm -hmm. but you cannot maintain that influence mm -hmm. unless you've got those priesthood principles of long-suffering, righteousness, love unfeigned. I think that's a significant part of priesthood, not just I have the priesthood, but, but priesthood is a way that, that we serve and tend those links mm -hmm. in family. And so the way they're passing it down and keeping a book of remembrance uh, like they talk about at the beginning of chapter six, I think is really significant. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Book of Remembrance because we're gonna talk about that in our footnotes portion. Uh, but we're gonna wrap this up for our first discussion on Adam and Eve teach their family and uh, we'll jump right into our next topic. When I fail, uh, the thing that gets me back on my feet is competition. I thrive to like try to be the best and so it gets me back on my feet pretty fast. Just knowing my Savior is there and He would want me to, to get up and try and do better and knowing that um, He loves me and the atonement and just to keep trying to do better every day. One way I get back on my feet is through my parents. I love to turn to them and talk to them. And not only are they a great support system for me, but they remind me of the really important things in my life. They help me turn to my patriarchal blessing and to all the things that can really help me feel better about who I am and recognizing that I am a daughter of God. So let's jump into our next topic, which is God calls us to do his work despite our inadequacies. And this is a great time where we get to learn a lot about Enoch. What can you tell us about Enoch and his role? Yeah, so to catch up from Adam and Eve to Enoch, sometimes as parents, we, we judge ourselves by how faithful our kids are. And if that's the measure, Adam and Eve did not do great. <laughs> they kept the gospel alive. Most people had gotten swept away by the world. And so Enoch is a descendant of Adam who's called to go teach them. And we get in Moses chapter 6, verse 31, this first moment where he's faced with that call. Um, does one of you want to read just that verse? Sure. And when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord and spake before the Lord, saying, Why is it that I have found favor in thy sight and am but a lad 
and all the people hate me, for I am slow of speech. Wherefore am I thy servant? Right, so Enoch's called and he's nervous. And this line about all the people hate me, we've read about some murders before this, right? Like that's not a small concern. Yeah. Um, and so he, he believes in the Lord, he's listened, but he's saying, why me? And Darcy, why don't you give us the next verse, God's response, which doesn't totally answer his question. And the Lord said unto Enoch, go forth and do as I have commanded thee, and no man shall pierce thee. Open thy mouth, and it shall be filled, and I will give thee utterance. For all flesh is in my hands, and I will do as seemeth me good. Yeah. He doesn't answer that initial question of why me. He just gives this promise that he'll be with Enoch as Enoch goes forward. I think sometimes we, we feel very similar to Enoch. How do we get past our own feelings of inadequacy to be able to accomplish his work? I like, um, as you pointed out in the verse 32, go forth and do as I have commanded thee. The first step is to stand up and start moving, and then the Lord can guide us. But we have to start moving. We have to, we have to go. Have any of you had that experience where, where you get a calling or a prompting to do something and you feel that hesitation? Lydia, you, you have something to share? On fast Sundays, sometimes I just have a prompting, and I know it's by the Spirit because there was no other reason, and I'll bear it on a specific topic that just popped into my head, and I'll have someone talk to me after church, like that was, that was really helpful to me. That's awesome. My wife teaches um, writing and public speaking, and uh, she's told me when people are surveyed, people report being more afraid of speaking in front of a crowd than of death. Um, so, so it takes a certain amount of courage to stand up and go say something. And I think part of what gives you the courage to do that is that sense that you have a specific thing to say. So in verses 35 to 36, after Enoch is called, but before he goes out to preach, God gives him one gift. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Enoch and said unto him, Anoint thine eyes with clay and wash them and thou shalt see. And he did so. And he beheld the spirits that God had created. And he beheld also things which were not visible to the natural eye. And from thenceforth came the saying abroad in the land, a seer hath the Lord raised up unto his people. So Enoch became a seer in that he has a, a spiritual vision beyond ordinary sight. This is a pretty big responsibility that he has. I would love some more thoughts on being used despite our own individual weaknesses. Danica, please go ahead. To get quite personal, I'm unable to have children, but I've noticed over time that I am surrounded by children. I'm not their direct parent, and I feel myself drawn to them. I, I listen to the Spirit to see, okay, I, I need to call this child. I need to have a conversation. I can help them, and I can connect to them on a spiritual level that's not too personal and that it kind of gives them a safe space. So it's been very useful. Thank you for sharing that, especially something so personal. How do you feel the promptings of the Spirit in these moments? When adults gather and the kids gather, it's separation. I tend to like to go up and say, hey, how are things going? And we'll have a conversation just about life. And I can just sense where that needs to go and where I need to share my testimony with them or an example of something that's happened in my life that they can collate with what's going on in their own. 
That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Uh, I want to uh, talk to our special guest here. How do you feel the Lord uh, lifts and supports you in your inadequacies? One thing that has come to mind while we're talking is that having the inadequacies and the weaknesses is really a blessing. Because what if the Lord had called Enoch and Enoch had said, I got this, you know, <laughs> like I'm good. And then would he have had this amazing experience? You know, it's through our weaknesses that we call on God and it's through our weaknesses and calling on him that we see his power in our lives. I've told my kids that recently, you know, it's like the Lord has your back. You know, he's there with you, you know, as long as you accept him and you're, you know, for, there for him too. Sometimes it's not despite our weaknesses that the Lord can use us, but through right. our weaknesses. Do you think that, and this is a question I want to go to that was asked by one of our viewers, uh, just this idea of focusing too much on our weaknesses. Hi, my name is Chris Cook from Lehigh, Utah. My question is about strengths and weaknesses. In the scriptures, we learn that God can turn our weaknesses into strengths. But in the workplace and on the field of sports, for example, they say play to your strengths. How much time should we really spend on our weaknesses? And how does God change them into strengths? It's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, I think you do need to do both. You know, focus on your strengths while you're still trying to, to address your weaknesses. You know, the talk that was in General Conference where he talked about changing with 1%. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we make little incremental changes, you know, and we just have to, you know, move forward with faith and be more uh, aware of what the things that are really important. So you're saying, for example, if you, if you recognize a weakness, it's okay to focus on it in that your desire is to improve that so that it can become a strength. And I think a really important key we get from Enoch is where do we get that feeling of weakness from? Because initially he's comparing how are other people going to see me? That's not about what's my character. It's about what's my reputation? How am I presenting myself, right? If we worry less about that and more about how we are, that's going to help us with weaknesses, right? Chris had asked about work settings. If I'm in a work setting and somebody comes up and says, I'm not great at this, can you teach me? Now you have a new strength, which is teachability, <laughs> right? And, and I love to work with somebody in the workplace who's willing to be taught, right? So immediately the weakness becomes a strength once you're humble and once you're concerned with who you are instead of how you look. Difficult, but important. Yeah. I also think, to answer uh, Chris's question, I don't think we do need to focus on our weaknesses. We acknowledge our weaknesses and try to improve on them. And then his second part of his question was, how does God make our weaknesses strengths? That's a, that's a tough question. But looking into the example of Enoch, his weakness that he told God was, I'm slow of speech. And how did God respond? Not making him this amazing speaker, but what he did was he gave him vision. And then the vision made him not afraid to speak. And so God, I think, answers with what we need and what will help us to overcome the problem. I think that's so fascinating to me. Going back to something that James said earlier, how the Lord calls Enoch and he just tells him, go. And he sends him out there. And I, there's, a, there's a couple thousand young men and young women very close by here, I'm sure feel that same way. I remember uh, when my brother went on his mission, he was, he was worried. And one of the things I said to him is, well, don't 
overestimate the call in one sense because God's doing the work. He's the farmer. You're coming in for the harvest to sift through and pick some stuff up. And, um, and I think for Enoch being able to do that one step, knowing that he's not the only part of the system, right? That, mm-hmm. that God has a greater work going on and, and we're just part of that. In any aspect of our life, I love that idea that if we exercise faith and take that first step, then he will qualify us to, to do his work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as we remember that the gospel has called us to see the world in a different way and to be out of the world, it's, it's easier to deal with some of the inadequacies because we weren't supposed to get traditional worldly acclaim, right? There's almost a gravity to social expectation, right? Where we just get pulled back in, it's always tugging on us. And I think that's when I have my Peter moments where I'm starting to sink into the water again. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I wanna go to the audience and I want to ask just in general, from what you've heard today, is there something that you have felt through the Holy Ghost that you'd like to share or comment on? Timothy, please. I was thinking about uh, kind of a connection of thoughts that have been shared. I was sometimes falling into these traps of being overly critical, but I wanted my kids to know the gospel, and so I needed to point things out when they weren't in line with what I thought they should be doing. I had this prompting to meet with my kids individually, and I had them write out what all their goals were, and I explained to them how they could accomplish their goals, working backwards to where they're at now. Okay, you need to graduate from high school, You need to get decent grades to go to that school. If you want to get married, you know, you need to continue to develop your social skills and then you'll start dating at this age and such. And and then once we were aligned on what their goals were, then as things would come up, I could ask them, how how is that going to help you? And how are you going to get better grades in school when you wait until the end of the week when the assignment's due to try and work on it, right? Because you want to go to college. And then I'm not telling them what I think they should do. I'm helping them reach their goals. And that put me on their side instead of someone who's just pointing out weaknesses to them. I love it. Are these your kids? Yes. You? Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask one of your kids if they would share. Um, just in general, how's your dad doing? Um, I really like how he points out things we've done wrong, but he also asks us, how does this align with your future goals so that we can reevaluate and see what we, we need to change ourselves? I love it. And it's working, obviously. And, and this, I think it brings us back as we wrap up this discussion, just about how God can use all of us to fulfill his work despite our inadequacies. Enoch, the perfect example, look at what he was able to accomplish. I mean, a whole city was taken up, right? Because he obeyed because he turned himself over to God and allowed him to work with him despite all his own feelings of inadequacy. And you mentioned God's work. It's the book of Moses that tells us God's work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, right? We are his work. And so that process, no matter what happens on the outside, there's an eternal significance to that. I love it. Thank you. This has been a great discussion on how God calls us to do his work despite our inadequacies. Thank you so much for your comments. Thank you all for being here. Now we're excited to get into the footnotes portion where we can dive in a little bit deeper to some of these topics and others as well. 
When I am being prompted by the Holy Ghost, it's never in a very loud way. It's more through a thought or an impression uh, and an idea that comes to me of things that I need to be doing. I'll be pondering something in my life, um, bringing something to the Lord in prayer, but sometimes those answers don't come until um, I'm in quiet moments. It's pretty subtle. Like so far, I've had a prompting to stand up in sacrament meeting and say something when we're bearing our testimonies. And I feel like it's just a thought that pops into my head. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes, where we dive in a little deeper into these chapters that we've been discussing. You know, in our last segment, uh, we kind of teased this idea of the, the Book of Remembrance. And I want to start there and uh, let you have some time to share your thoughts. Yes, so um, in Moses chapter 6, verse 5, they talk about this book of remembrance that Adam and Eve and their family kept. It says, And a book of remembrance was kept, in the which was recorded in the language of Adam, for it was given unto as many as called upon God to write by the spirit of inspiration, and by them their children were taught. Um, and then it goes on to explain, like, this is what their children learned from. And Richard, you have your own thoughts on the book of remembrance. I'd love to... Yeah. So you have to share. I, I really like uh, a story in our stake. Elder Natras spoke and he was reading part of the Joseph Smith history, verse 59, and, and halfway through the verse. These are instructions that Moroni is giving Joseph Smith about taking care of the plates, uh, which is, of course, the ultimate book of remembrance. Elder Natras related that to taking care of our children. So this is what Moroni told Joseph. He said that I should be responsible for them that if I should let them go carelessly or through any neglect of mine, I should be cut off. But that if I would use all my endeavors to preserve them, um, that they should be protected. Elder Natras related that to our children. If we let them go carelessly or through any neglect, then, then we're in trouble. But if we do everything that we can, everything within our power to preserve them, that the Lord's going to protect them. And that is so comforting to me. That's beautiful. I love it. And I think that's really true of family memory too. Actually, when we were talking before about teaching children, um, somebody from the audience had talked about teaching children from personal spiritual experience. And, and this type of, of books of remembrance are an interesting way that we can try to contain our experience and, and pass it on to invite other people to to get something from that. So not necessarily specifically from a book, but maybe like through a family tradition or other, just any sort of method of passing down these teachings to our children. Yeah, a book of remembrance is one way that they could pass those down. So I think in any family, there's this, this problem to solve of how do we pass down experience? And, and a book's one way to do that. Give me, uh, you, you have a book here. I'd love to see what, uh, what you have gained from your own personal book of remembrance. Yeah, so I can show you this a little bit. Um, my aunt and grandpa worked together with the whole extended family um, to make this book that records both some of the family experiences and the culture and background they came from. My grandpa's from Punjab in India and grew up while the British still ruled, you know, during the independence movement and, um, and so we wanted to remember that. In the Pearl of Great Price, they talk about preserving language. In the Book of Mormon, that's a big deal. Yeah. And I love that, that my aunt, you can see here, 
put in the alphabet that the Sikh gurus uh, used to teach people to write their language. I remember my great-grandma trying to teach me some Punjabi, and she'd say, oot, oot, right? Taught me how to say the word for camel. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later I realized that's the beginning of the alphabet, right? The same way A is for apple, ura is for oot. That is so neat. Um, I've got a, a picture of her right there, most beautiful woman That's in the great. world. That's wow. great. Um, but it's just wonderful to have her stories. Some of the challenges she went through are different. She had smallpox, oh, wow. right? That's a disease yeah. that doesn't even exist anymore, but she talks about wow. what her experience was. It's so easy to get trapped inside ourselves. And a book of remembrance can help carry you out of yourself to get this bigger generational perspective. Mm -hmm but also helps hint at like the grand celestial mm -hmm. interconnection between all of us. Okay, I was just gonna say, what are the benefits that you are receiving from having this knowledge that has been kept? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, scriptures talk about hearts turning to ancestors. This has helped do that for me. Mm -hmm. Gave me a lot of strength. My, my brother used to say too, since we've got Jews on one side of the family, Sikhs on the other, and Latter-day Saints in the middle, um, <laughs> He said, you know, when our parents tell us something that, that you should do this or that, and the other religions agree, <laughs> you got three witnesses there, right? That. And it's a little that's harder awesome. to wriggle yeah. out and be like, well, that's just, yeah. that's just the culture right. of the church, right? I love it. Yeah, and the scriptures in the Book of Mormon, especially where it talks about remember these things, remember what the Lord has done for you. And I think that's one of the, one of the reasons we have the Book of Remembrance or how we're supposed to write things down is how important it is to remember what the Lord's done. And I think for our children, too, to see it in the family, I mean, the more connections that you can give them, Lord has done these things for us and that you can move forward knowing that he will continue to do those things for you. With the family history stuff, we have some, like, I have some old letters that we have from Richard's family and pictures and stuff, and it's just really neat to read part of those things or tell them stories or things that we can remember about them. Like, for example, my grandmother, who was born in 1900, I knew her well, and uh, she's this amazing woman, but my kids, of course, didn't know her. She had passed away before they were born, but they've read some of her letters, and uh, and they've said, wow, this is just amazing. This woman is amazing. It's neat for them to be able to connect that way too. Yeah. And I think some people don't necessarily have that family memory. Mm -hmm. um, some people don't even know like who one of their parents is, right? right, right. Um, so another thing we're doing is trying to, how do you create the next memory? And you've got some experience with that. Yeah. We talked before about this swim across the English mm -hmm. channel. Yeah, yeah. How do you help uh, make that real for your kids and get something out of it that's that's worthwhile for them? Yeah, yeah, good question. So uh, just to give a little bit of a background on it, uh, my brother, my older brother Dave and I, we were swimmers our whole life um, and uh, swam young all the way up through high school. I swam in college and one day while I was still an undergraduate in college, he says, we should swim the English Channel. No and I was deal, like, right? I was like, yeah, we should do that. That'd be awesome. We had no idea how long it was. <laughs> and um, at least I had no idea how long it was. So we studied it and, uh, and, and both of us had to finish up schooling. He went to medical school, I was in law school, and then so we had to finish how, up. How long is it? Now you have me. Yeah, so it's 21 miles straight across, but you can't swim straight across because there's currents that push you uh, the wrong direction the whole time. 
they say it's like a river of water that changes direction every six hours. So if you push off from England, uh, the water uh, might be flowing from the, like the southwest to the northeast for six hours, and then it'll be slack for about 45 minutes, and then it flows the opposite direction for six hours. Never toward France, never toward where you want to go, <laughs> but sideways. Uh, and, and then the other sideways. So are you swimming in a zigzag with You these? are. Okay. It, your, your route looks like a giant S uh, okay. when you're done because you, you push off and you go this way and then you go this way and then you go in. And my kids wow. say, well, why don't you swim straight? I tell them I did swim straight the whole time. <laughs> the whole time I was facing toward France and your support boat is facing toward France and you don't feel the current. You don't feel it pushing you, but you're really? moving off course the whole time. Uh, and um, so, yeah. My course was 36 miles because you can't go straight across through the through the currents, and it took me 16 hours and 43 minutes that day to to swim it. Darcy was on my support boat; she was pregnant with our fifth child, and you get seasick on those boats without being pregnant. <laughs> wow. And uh, but she was amazing. That's she did not. Get, didn't at all. She did not. Oh wow! No, I didn't. Yeah. It was amazing. It was wow. a blessing, so, a tender mercy. That's right. That's right. And so to preserve that, our our kids have grown up hearing the stories and and uh, me telling them about that and to kind of help us preserve the memory for, our, for us and our children, we have this uh, photo book that we put together and we got back. And these are just pictures that we have of the whole experience of my brother and I and, and uh, Darcy's there and my parents are there, my younger brother, my brother's wife is there. Um, there's a couple pictures of us swimming in the water we started at 3.30 a.m. and you start at a different time of day depending on the tides for that day. We started swimming at the night, pitch black water, 3.30 uh, in the morning and swam through, uh, swam through the day through the next day until sunset. In fact, I remember while I was swimming, I was thinking as it was starting to get uh, darker, I thought, I don't want to swim in the dark anymore. I've got to finish before, <laughs> I get, I gotta finish before it gets nighttime. And then in addition to that, I've also kept uh, these jars uh, as a memory of the swim. This jar has rocks from the beach of England, where we started from, and you can see it's very uncomfortable and rough and hard. And this is actual sand from the beach of France where I landed, soft and, and wow. smooth. And <laughs> the journey was, was tough, but the reward was amazing. It was soft <laughs> and, and beautiful, and, and it was great. To stand up after 16 hours and 43 minutes of swimming was, was exhilarating. And I literally felt no pain for a couple of minutes as I stood there in, in, in joy and in happiness at the end of the journey. That's that's amazing. It's an amazing feat, you know, in and of itself. Um, but to think about how you can now use this experience to help teach as yeah. we talk about, you know, Book of Remembrance. So uh, tell us about some of the parallels that you've been able to make yeah. um, with raising your own family. Sure. First, we thought we were really well prepared, and we were. We had studied it. We had studied what other swimmers had done. We trained specifically for one year to do the channel, but we'd been swimming our whole lives. But when, uh, when we were actually in the process, uh, it was much harder than we thought it was going to be. It was much longer than we thought it was going to be. And that reminds me so much of parenting. Before we had kids, it was, we were going to be the perfect parents, and it was going to be awesome. And we knew what to do. And we were prepared and we'd seen what other people had done. We'd read the books and whatever, but it was so much harder than we thought it was going to be right. in mortality in, in general. But the key is to endure, mm. uh, to, just, to just keep going. As long as I was swimming toward France, we were making progress. So Darcy, uh, yes. just before you continue, I just wanna get your thoughts. 
Have you been able to draw some of those similar experiences in your life, whether it's through raising children, um, or being a mother, being a wife, of what are some of the English channels that you've had kind of to go through? Well, one thing that's kind of funny that we joke around about a little bit is that I feel like the whole experience was sort of like giving birth. <laughs> it was sort of like waiting, because like for example, when we were there, we have a window of time. You have to wait for the right tides and the weather has to be just mm -hmm. right. So you're sitting there, it's like, we're ready to go, but we're not. And I think that's just like when you're ready for your baby, it's like the baby's coming, but it's not yet. The whole process just like, it's just arduous. It took right. so long and just stuff like that. I tell people sometimes that this was one of the hardest experiences for me and I was on the mm -hmm. boat. I was amazed at him. How can you keep swimming? How can you keep going? It's so long. But anyway, I think that we can use that in our life because there's so many times where you have kind of long drawn out trials sometimes or things that it just seems like it's going, it's longer than you thought it was going to be. You can do a little bit more, especially since the Lord's there with you, helping you. Yeah, and what you wonder with, with Adam and Eve and yeah. in their whole process, trying to figure it out, you know, there must have been those, those long days, those yeah. frustrating days of, can I do the seeing their children make? poor choices and trying to still just endure, mm -hmm. you know, as they went through this, um, this raising of their children. I think one more aspect of this that's interesting is you can tell the same story and sometimes it might be really inspiring to somebody and sometimes you might have a kid roll their eyes oh, yeah. and go like this again, right? The English yeah. channel again, right? Yeah. And so there's an interesting question of how you pass on memories, but how does that actually work on someone else? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is a question that the book of Moses takes up. Mm -hmm. So they've kept this earthly book of remembrance. Yeah. And Adam and Eve are teaching. In Moses 6, uh, verse 61, it talks about another sort of record, mm -hmm. right? Darcy, do you want to read the, the beginning of verse 61? Yeah, sure. Therefore, it is given to abide in you the record of heaven, the comforter, the peaceable things of immortal glory, the truth of all things, that which quickeneth all things, which maketh alive all things. Okay, pause there. Mm -hmm. So this is the Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. and I love that description of it as the record of heaven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are those moments in life that I think you're preparing kids for. It's not that you always need them to, to listen now or for something to click right now. They're storing up that memory for the moment later when the earthly record and the heavenly record align mm -hmm. and suddenly it comes to life mm. for them, right? When they're in that time where they're going, I feel like I'm just getting pulled back and forth and am I getting any, this is the English channel, this yeah, is my right. English channel, that's right? That's right, yeah. And I like, um, you know, to bringing the Holy Ghost into because aren't we taught in the scriptures, you know, the Holy Ghost will bring all things to your remembrance. Mm -hmm. you yes. Know? So it's just, I think that goes with that where it's like, it's the record, you know, it keeps a record and that's really, that's really amazing. And then when I conclude, uh, when, we, when we've spoken about the English Channel uh, and, and the difficulty and the long and the, the arduous uh, process and the tasks, I always like to finish with a couple of other lessons. Number one, we can't do it alone. Mm. I could not do this without a support boat. I could not do this without a loving wife who would let me do that. And without family members, I couldn't do it without my brother Dave, whose idea it was in the first place. And we can't do it without the Lord. When we do finally reach our eternal reward, then my favorite verse uh, talking about that is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And it says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We can't comprehend the 
joy and the happiness and the blessings that we'll receive if we can endure to the end and if we could keep swimming uh, towards our goal. And that reminds me of Enoch, who we talked about, where he's called to preach to a really wicked world. And would he have ever imagined that the other people would come together and the Lord would help him to build this city of exceptional righteousness, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, that's a great transition into Enoch and, and his work. And I'd just love to see in, in your studies, uh, what has stood out to you? Anything in addition to what we talked about earlier about Enoch being, a pro being called as a prophet, being called as a seer? Uh, just love to get some of your thoughts on that. There's a couple things that really stood out to me about Enoch. First of all, saying, I can't speak, I'm slow of speech, and then feeling inadequate, and then praying to the Lord. And the first one is in Moses chapter 6, okay. verse 35. And it said, the Lord spake unto Enoch and said unto him, anoint thine eyes with clay and wash them that thou shalt see. And he did so. That sounds just like the Savior healing the blind mm. when he was in his mortality. And uh, that really stood out to me that he's doing the you know, similar thing that he would do later on. And he's healing Enoch. And then second, Enoch prayed for a voice and the Lord responded by giving him vision. Um, and then the problem with the voice went away once he had the vision. And sometimes the Lord doesn't give us what we're asking for, but he gives us what we need and it's better. Hmm. I'm a poet and like to write poems that interact with scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big source of inspiration for me. And there's a line from one of my poems where I riff on that and say about Jesus, you had to wash the clearness out with mud so I could see again. Mm -hmm. And to me, sometimes we, we feel like we can see, and it takes that intervention to show us, no, we can't, yeah. before we can then see something greater, something deeper uh, with that spiritual vision. Yeah. You know, we are led today by prophets, seers, and revelators. And as we learn in the scriptures about Enoch and his own feelings of inadequacies, do you think there's value for members of the church who are following prophets, seers, and revelators to kind of learn of some of their inadequacies throughout their lives? And if so, what would be some of those values? I really like to learn about like all of like the prophet and the, I love look reading stories about mm -hmm. things they've gone through. And I don't know if I would say inadequacy to me, but I love learning about their challenges right. and things they've gone through. And so I, I like learning about that kind of it's stuff. It's always refreshing in a yeah. way to think, oh, you know, here is somebody who went through this experience yet overcame and, and became. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I think we have with me. Yeah, you know? we have a tendency, I think, at least I do, sometimes of feeling like, okay, you know, they know what they're doing. They've got it made or, you know, or whatever. They've had it easy maybe sometimes. But it's a nice thing to, to learn about that. And you see that everybody has challenges. Nobody gets out of this life without having hardships and challenges and, and big, you know, big ones. And so anyway, I think sometimes that's kind of nice, you know, to see that we, we all have to go through this stuff. I mean, I definitely feel like with, with Joseph Smith, I feel like I relate that way. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, um, I had a really clear experience of testimony with President Hinckley when I was growing up, right? And so for him, I went, this guy's a prophet. Like, I just knew. Um, with President Monson, I just liked him so much, right? There was this warmth. And both of them, I'd always had them. Uh, President Nelson, of course, he'd been an apostle and around, but like... I just personally don't necessarily connect mm -hmm. as well with him. That doesn't mean he's not a prophet. It just means there's that right. gap. 
One of the moments that has been most important for me in relating to President Nelson is when he told a story in conference about doing a heart surgery and it had been multiple surgeries yeah. in the same family and the kids died again mm -hmm. and he had to go tell those parents again. And he you know, was just honest with us about lying on the floor crying and saying, I quit, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I cannot tell another parent that I have failed. And that moment is the moment that helps me anchor to President Nelson, right? He showed me that moment of weakness and that moment where he was right on the brink. Um, that's meant a lot to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love that personal side of connecting to a prophet. I, I love the fact that just like in Enoch's time, we have a seer for mm -hmm. us today who knows what's ahead, who is communicating with the Lord and can warn us and protect us. And it's up to us to follow the prophet, just like it was up to the people in Enoch's time to follow him. And I love that the Lord has not left us alone. To kind of connect these two topics, how do you do that uh, within your own homes to help your kids connect to a prophet? You know, maybe they don't have the experience that you yeah. had, but what do, you, what do we do as parents to kind of help our, our own children develop their own testimony of what a seer is? There's lots of things we do. We talk about the prophet a lot, and we mm. talk about, we watch general conference. I feel like it's such an important thing in this day and age when there's, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of competing voices, and it's like, we could, hey, we have someone that we can trust, you know, that the Lord wants us to follow, that we can, that, that's kind of like a sure thing. I think we have good uh, general conference traditions that the kids yeah, really look do. forward and like general conference. We always have it on, and of course we as adults are always watching it, but the younger kids are in and out of uh, paying attention or in and out of the room, but, but they love the whole event of it. And I think, too, you can trust a prophet. Doctrine and Covenants says follow the prophet with patience and faith. And sometimes we're big on faith and not, not so good at, <laughs> at remembering that sometimes it does take patience, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I feel like ultimately, for me, the strongest testimonies of a prophet are when I get that seer feeling, right? Like when, when they say something and I am suddenly able to see something I wasn't before. Mm -hmm. cool. And I think part of what I try to pass on to my children is an openness to be ready to be, be wrong and see something else, right? Mm -hmm. And, and if, if we model that humility, Humility makes room for those moments of testimony. You can't, you can't force it, but sometimes that, that magic happens for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what happens when, in a case where, you know, we sustain this person as a seer, what happens in those moments where maybe they, they say something that doesn't initially sit right with us? We're trying to find the balance between, okay, I, I want to follow the prophet, but what he has said, initially, maybe you're not quite feeling it. I, th I think one thing is to be patient, like talking about the patience. Mm -hmm. I, and I just recently read someone's experience with something like that. And she said that she just thought, I'm not going to panic. I'm just going to kind of wait, you know, and not like rush to judgment or think, oh, he's wrong because of this or whatever. And this person in her account, she felt like she had a spiritual experience that she wouldn't have had, you know, otherwise. 
And so I think that's one thing that's really good to do. I don't do, know if it's the same like, one. Sherry Dew, she, yeah, she... No, it was a different one, but I know some of the stuff talk. that she... It, the one I'm thinking of is where it's called, um, Will You Engage in the Wrestle? Oh, uh, okay, yeah, I And know she shares too. her experience about, you know, the same concept where it took her a couple months mm -hmm. to really wrestle with this idea that she was struggling with that came down from a prophet. And then it's a beautiful story mm -hmm. of the conclusion she came to and how the Holy Ghost spoke to her individually to kind of reconcile and, and her heart changed and it was a really mm -hmm. neat experience. Mm -hmm. I remember President Oaks talking about, you know, there were some teachings around priesthood restriction where people would justify that different ways and it might come up in a church mm -hmm. setting and it didn't feel true. And if you try to force it and make yourself accept everything, well, not everything's right. You got to let the draw separate from the gold. What you need to do in those times where you're waiting, I think where people go wrong is where you go, I no longer trust this person's intentions instead of going, look, the prophet, I trust him to do his best, mm -hmm. and I trust God to sort it out, uh -huh. and I'll get there, or maybe things will turn out differently, yeah. and, and just be in for the ride. Yeah. We have to fill the gap with faith. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's good. And it works with us as well. I know. You know? I, what I was going to say, too, we have to accept that we might be the ones that are wrong here. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So we have to be humble, and that's, anyway. Yep. So. It reminds me, too, of one, one more verse. Um, Moses 660, um, this is from what Adam and Eve are teaching their children and Enoch is repeating them. Mm -hmm. um, but it simplifies the gospel as saying, for by the water ye keep the commandment, by the spirit ye are justified, and by the blood ye are sanctified. And I thought those three layers were interesting, that sometimes we're we're keeping the commandment. We're just observing something. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not all the way there yet. Mm -hmm. There's a separate <laughs> uh, level of being justified, being right before God, and we've got to work that out. And then a final level of over time being sanctified, being made holy. Mm -hmm. And and yes, yeah, sometimes maybe, maybe we rush and want everything to be done at once. We need to be ready to let the Spirit work on us mm -hmm. and do that sanctifying work. I love that verse, and yeah. I never looked at it at those three different layers. And as you as you were saying that, it just is making sense. The reality is, it all comes down to our focus on Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and on His atonement and our ability to become greater than we are. Uh, can't happen without Him. And I, I really appreciate everything you've said and shared, Richard Darcy. Thank you so much for giving your time to come be with us today. And of course, James, it's always good to hear from you and, and your knowledge that has benefited all of us today. So thank you. For your viewers at home, thank you so much for being with us. And we want to invite you as, as you go and as you study to be sensitive to those promptings of the Spirit. What is the Holy Ghost trying to teach you as an individual? Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.